Good morning, Yaoundé, good afternoon, Yerevan, and good evening, Byron Bay. From Washington, D.C., I'm Ethan Plotkin, and this is Intrigue Out Loud, your go-to audio guide to the globe. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue co-founder John Fowler to discuss a major update on Brexit and the latest on Yemen's civil war. It's all coming up. Morning, John. How are you? I'm doing well, Ethan. How are you? Doing great. Thank you uh, for asking. Uh, So on Sunday, uh, we heard news that European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen would travel to Windsor in the UK for a meeting with British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. What was on the agenda? Yeah, uh, this is big news for Brexit watchers, that uh, that rare breed of, of person. That poor, poor person. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But to understand the meeting, I think we have to backtrack a little bit um, and unfortunately do a little bit of a Brexit refresher, um, so bear with us. But um, <laughs> that's obviously the, the British withdrawal from the European Union uh, that was triggered uh, by the 2016 referendum. The referendum asked voters to consider, should the UK remain a uh, member of the European Union or should it leave the European Union? And we all know how that went. I think it's important to note that the the referendum didn't answer any questions about how that withdrawal would work. So that's been the cause of a lot of problems for the British government, successive British governments since uh, 2016. I think of many sticking points... The stickiest of the sticking points, if you want to put it that way, was over the status of Northern Ireland, which is obviously a part of the UK, but is on the island of Ireland, um, if you follow my, follow my language there. <laughs> yeah, right. And I mean, this isn't any old land border between the Northern Ireland and Ireland, right? Like this border was the source of decades of sectarian violence between British nationalists who wanted this closed, hardened, and Irish nationalists who wanted it eliminated altogether, they finally resolved this issue uh, in 1998. They, they definitely don't want to reopen this can of worms, right? No, and, and it's a serious issue. The The Good Friday Agreement in uh, 1998 solved, as you said, a lot of violence. So the idea that Brexit could open up old wounds is, is terrifying for a lot of folks. Um, you know, the problem is... After the UK left the customs union, policymakers have to decide how goods flow between Ireland and Northern Ireland without recreating that hard border. And how did they address that question originally? Uh, not very effectively is the short answer. Look, the stuff is really complicated. It's better explained in you know 50 minutes than, than five minutes. But essentially, the EU and the UK created a sea border between the mainland of Britain, so England, Wales, and Scotland mainland, um, and the island and the island of Ireland. <laughs> um, so you know, any goods travelling to Northern Ireland were kind of subject to the customs inspections then, the EU customs inspections then, even though Northern Ireland is technically part of the the UK. So you know, the arrangement allowed the the Irish land border to remain open, but it really upset a lot of folks in Northern Ireland who said, well, essentially we're separated from our own country by a hard uh, a sea border. So I, I would say the Northern Irish folks were not satisfied with that. And so I, I take it Sunak and von der Leyen were, were working to fix that issue? Yeah, exactly. And and what they've come up with is this, this idea of a, a two-track custom system, which sounds tedious, but let me explain. Uh, it's this idea that there's a green lane for goods traveling from the UK to Northern Ireland or domestically within the UK, if you like. Uh, those goods won't be subject to customs inspections, just like they wouldn't be within the mainland of the UK. Uh, and in the red lane, that's the goods that are traveling from the mainland of the UK to 
outside of the UK. So somewhere else in Ireland, uh, like you know, the, the Republic of Ireland, not Northern Ireland, those goods are subject to customs checks. So it's like they're the ones going into the EU. Sunak and von der Leyen uh, insist that the system will allow goods to travel freely to Northern Ireland while keeping the land border open and allowing the EU to enforce its customs union, union and common markets. So I think they're hoping to sort of, this is, this is the kind of have your cake and eat it too solution. So this has been ongoing for, uh, you know, seven years now. Uh, Sunak and von der Leyen must be thrilled to reach a conclusion here. I assume everyone is excited, uh, as excited about this deal as they are, right? Uh, no. <laughs> Put simply, uh, this is this is the story of Brexit, right? Like no one's happy with anything. Um, so lots of Brexiters want nothing to do with the EU. And, and lots of British nationalists in Northern Ireland, aka the Unionists, want nothing to do with Ireland. So they'd much. There's these Unionists who much prefer to build a hard land border with Ireland uh, and call it a day uh, than what they see with, uh, as a confusing technocratic arrangement. Um, especially from Rishi Sunak, who they see as you know a technocrat, an uninspired bureaucrat, bureaucratic kind of guy. Is that opposition going to be enough to to stop it from passing? I think uh, Labour Party. Chairman uh, Keir Starmer had promised to support it and said that his entire party would support it. Uh, is that going to be enough to, to bring it across the finish line? It's hard to know, right? Uh, Brexit has undone the political ambitions of each of Sunak's predecessors. It's been a real millstone around the neck of UK politicians for, as you said, seven years. Um, so I think while Sunak can count it as a major achievement, and it's been covered pretty favorably in the press as, as a major achievement, uh, it's not hard to imagine that this will not Uh, go much further and he'll uh, eventually go the same way as his predecessors. Today's show is sponsored by Best Buy. Best Buy is the number one retailer for consumer electronics. In fact, the podcast you're listening to was edited on a Best Buy computer recorded through a Best Buy microphone, and reviewed using Best Buy headphones. Best Buy works hard every day to enrich the lives of consumers through technology, whether they buy online or in stores. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, welcome back. So next up, we're talking about the Yemen civil war. Uh, John, this war has been ongoing for nearly a decade, and I think has struggled to stay on top of the international community's radar. So tell us, what's the, what's the latest here? Yeah, I think that's a very fair characterization. It's probably why lots of folks around the world call it the Forgotten War. Um, you know, as a refresher, this war in Yemen started in 2014 when Houthi rebels, uh, a Shia group backed by Iran, of course, took control of Yen- uh, Yemen's capital, Sana'a. Apologies for the... The pronunciation there, um, but it forced the sitting government. The Houthis forced the sitting government into exile. Since then, Yemen's been sort of divided up by two de facto states: one controlled by the Houthis in the north, and the other controlled by the Saudi-backed and internationally recognised government of Yemen in the south, and that's known as the IRG. The toll from the conflict has been enormous. Uh, Around half a million people, mostly civilians, have been killed since the war began, and at least two of every three Yemenis will need humanitarian assistance this year. So that sort of shows the scale of the crisis. More than 20 million people have been affected by it. And, and what's being done to help them, if, if anything at all? Well, not enough, I think, again, is the simple answer. The UN has been working to raise uh, $4.5 billion in humanitarian aid 
It's only raised $1.2 billion so far, and there's a long way to go to get these people the help they need. And the problem is, as you said at the start, it's the forgotten war. So uh, perhaps the assistance isn't as quick in coming as, as it should be. One encouraging step took place over the weekend, this past weekend, and that was the UN allowed a commercial ship to dock at the Houthi-controlled Hodeida port. And again, pronunciation isn't my forte of these words, but that's the main port uh, in in Yemen. And that's the first time that a ship has been dock, allowed to dock there since 2016. Right. And that's, that's big news because until now, the only goods that were able to pass through that Hodeida port uh, were basic things like cooking oil and food, you know, commercial goods had to go through the IRG's port in Aden. Yeah, exactly. And the arrival of this ship means that transport time for commercial goods to the rebel-controlled regions, the Houthi-controlled regions, will be drastically reduced. And hopefully that means that the economy there will get a boost of life and humanitarian aid can flow a bit easier and, and life can start... You know, returning to normal is probably too simple a phrase, but yeah. approaching normal. So this seems like something of an olive branch, right? I mean, does this mean that there could be a truce or ceasefire soon? Maybe. There was a six-month truce. Some folks will remember there was a six-month truce last year that lapsed last October 2022, um, and it hasn't been renewed since then. Why did that happen? Well, the Houthis didn't re-sign it. Um, you know, they're, they're in the position of power right now. Um, even if they've mostly been walled off from the wider world, they've got control of critical ports and airports in Yemen. They control the country's capital, as I said before. And they've been waging a fairly successful drone campaign against Saudi Arabia and, and the IRG, the, the internationally recognized government. So they they didn't feel a need to resign the the ceasefire. I, look, I think the, the Houthis are pretty resilient. They've managed to outlast a brutal Saudi Arabian bombing and artillery campaign. So, you know, they're not going to go anywhere soon. I think that could be an opportunity for longer term ceasefires, but it's probably going to require the the IRG, the legitimate government or the internationally recognized government, I should say, um, and its partners to accept Houthi control of northern Yemen. Won't be an easy pill to swallow, um, but for the sakes of you know millions of ordinary Yemenis, it's probably the best option they have to to get back to life as normal. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Ethan. Chat soon. Here are a couple other stories we're tracking today. Brazil has allowed two Iranian warships to dock in Rio de Janeiro despite a U.S. pressure campaign. Brazilian President Lula da Silva initially barred the ships from docking, but gave the Iranian vessels the green light following his trip to Washington earlier this month. Two Abu Dhabi-based firms will pay the Malaysian government $1.8 billion for their role in a massive corruption scandal known as 1MDB. Investigators say the firms knowingly helped former Prime Minister Najib Razak embezzle millions of taxpayer dollars. And that's going to do it for me. By the way, did you hear that Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador saw a mischievous woodland elf in the Yucatan Peninsula? I, for one, am choosing to believe him, but check out the International Intrigue newsletter to decide for yourself. Oh, and one last thing. You know those three cities I name at the beginning of each episode? Well, from now on, the first listener to tweet at us, message us on LinkedIn, or send us an email with a picture from one of those cities will win an Intrigue coffee mug. Again, that's every episode from here on out. I can't wait to see what you send in. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Friday.